listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Man, good to see you, church. Y'all doing okay? Man, it's good to be with you. Go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 5 is where we're going to be. 1 John chapter 5. We're going to pick up in verse um, 6 in just a minute. 1 John, we've got today and then two more Sundays and then we'll start our summer series uh, through, bless you, in the book of Proverbs. Looking forward to that. My wife uh, a while back was getting on a Southwest flight and if, you, if, if you've flown with Southwest, you know that they, they give you uh, the A through 30 or B through 30, whatever, and then you, you line up in, that, in those numbers and you can sit wherever you want. And so I don't know what number my wife Lauren had, but she's, she's in line and she said a lady began to go through all the different people and she was checking numbers. So it wasn't like she just went and was like, okay, I'm a 43. I'll kind of make sure I'm near where I'm supposed to be. She literally was perusing the line and like, okay, you're in the right. Okay. And I like, and so finally someone said, ma'am, I think like we can sit wherever. It's probably not that big a deal. And the lady said, well, why would they, why would they give us numbers if it doesn't matter? And they're like, okay. So she keeps going through. Well, finally they start boarding the plane. And when this particular lady that had been the uh, number Nazi, if you will, she, when, she, when she finally got to board the plane, they scanned her boarding pass and said, ma'am, you're at the wrong gate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, she, yeah, you go, oh, I think it's hilarious. I'm like, in your face. <laughs> what, what's funny is like she, she was majoring on the minors, right? So she's worried about the numbers, but in all actuality, she was at the completely wrong gate. And when Lauren told me that story, um, you know, like to, it's scary to be married to a preacher because you get to, your life gets used as metaphors a lot. <clears throat> but I said, Lauren, there's definitely a picture there. And that is how many people, um, they're worried about all these different things and that they missed the big thing, right? Like you missed that you're, you're in the wrong line completely. And what I mean by that is um, to put it into context for a believer, even a believer sometimes can begin to wonder, am I in the right line? Am I at the right gate? What I mean by that is like, it, okay, I've trusted Jesus, but, but, but I'm not sure that he's the way. Like just to be a little bit cheesy and use the whole airplane metaphor. Am I sure that like, this is the flight to heaven, right? Like, is, is, this, is this the right one? If you look at, um, we're not gonna start in verse 13, but look at verse 13 of chapter five. John says, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God, so you may know that you have eternal life. It's interesting, verses six through 13 are actually kind of, uh, and some, include some apologetics, if you will. So meaning they help us understand and, and defend our Christian faith. Let me be clear, the reason I point out verse 13, I don't think what we're gonna see in verses six through 13 would be really helpful if you were talking to an atheist, someone who doesn't believe God exists, like, or someone who just flat out thinks that Christianity is a joke. I don't know that this would be where I would go for a defense of our faith or like to try to convince them necessarily. But for the believer who sometimes, which is, I would say we're all fall into this category, who sometimes as you're thinking about scripture, like, man, am I sure I've got this right, that Jesus is who he says he is, this is a great text. Tracking with that? How do we know that Jesus is who he says he is? Well, this text is gonna help us with that. I do want to say before we dive in, um, 
Danny Aiken's commentary on this, Exalting Christ and Preaching, as I believe what it's called, is a great resource on this. I don't normally uh, borrow outlines from a commentary, but with this particular, te- particular text I did, I think it was super helpful. So if you, if you want to do some more deep diving into this text, check out Danny Aiken's commentary on this. That said, let me pray for us. And then we're going to walk through the text with the question in mind, how do we know that Jesus really is the Son of God? Let's pray. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for the opportunity to, to study the word together. God, I pray you would help us to, to lean in and to hear from you. God, that you would give us clarity as we unpack kind of a, a thick, um, somewhat complicated passage of scripture. Would you just give us wisdom and insight and understanding? In the name of Jesus that we pray and ask these things, amen. I do wanna say before I read the text, what we're going to do, read the text. We'll walk through five points I think John gives us. And then at the end of that, we'll talk about what difference it makes. And, and I, would, I know that we're prone, me included, to kind of like just care about what difference it makes. But I think it'll hit harder for you. Uh, it'll punch harder if you will lean in on the five truths we see in this text. So that said, let's jump in to, let's actually start in verse five just for a little context. <clears throat> Who is the one? who conquers the world, but the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. So I want to make sure I've got this right because the only people who conquer the world are those who believe in Jesus, who's the son of God, says he's the son of God. Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. If we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that has given about his son. The one who believes in the son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. The one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son of God does not have life. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. First point we're gonna unpack is this. We know Jesus is the son of God because of his baptism. We know he's the son of God because of his baptism and and maybe more specifically because of what happened at his baptism. Where do we see this? In verse six, where he says, he's the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. So uh, different theologians throughout the years have, have different perspectives on exactly what this is. Some have said maybe it's uh, the water that flowed from the side of Jesus when he, at his crucifixion. Well, I, I feel pretty confidently it's, that's not the water it's referring to because he says, it says water and blood. And then again, he even emphasizes the difference, not water only, but by water and by blood. So John, I think, has two different events, circumstances in mind here. So that would... And blood obviously referring to the crucifixion. So 
don't think he's talking about the crucifixion or the water that flowed at the crucifixion. Some have said maybe it's referring to baptism, like how we, uh, as a church, we just saw Austin baptized, Mr. Ian, which was awesome. So pumped for you, man. But some have thought maybe it's referring to the ordinance of baptism that we carry out. Well, we know it's not referring to that because Again, he's very specifically talking about Jesus, that Jesus Christ is the one who came. So this is referring to a historical event that happened in the life of Christ. So specifically what he's referring to when he says he came by water, he's talking about the baptism of Jesus. So again, context, Jesus Christ, and the context even deeper than that being that like knowing he's the son of God, we know he's the son of God because he came by water. So the obvious question is what is special or what was special about the baptism of Jesus? Because if getting baptized gives you the right to claim son of God, then a lot of you could be like, sweet, right? I've been baptized. So, so we need to know what specifically, what was special that happened at the baptism of Jesus. So hold your finger in first John and turn to Matthew chapter three. We're gonna do a little sword drill action here today. Matthew chapter three. And take a look when you get there at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And yet you're coming to me. Jesus answered him, allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. All right, now turn over to Mark chapter one. So it's just the next book to the right. Mark chapter one. Man, I love hearing those pages flip. If you're on your phone, that's okay too. But I love hearing the pages flip. Matthew, sorry, Mark, Mark chapter one, verse nine. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. All right, now one or a third time, turn to uh, Luke chapter three. Looking at every single gospel account for this. Luke chapter three. So again, just one more book to the right and we're gonna be in verse 21. 321. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. All right, one more time. John chapter one. Again, just one more book to the right. John chapter one. 
verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, here's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. So that's what he was saying about Jesus. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and testified that this is the son of God. So what made the baptism of Jesus so special? I don't know about y'all, but the last time I checked, no one who's else who's been baptized has when they come up out of the water, the heavens opened and the spirit like a dove descended on them and a voice boom and say, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, right? Kind of a big deal. I actually tell students, like, like younger kids, when, I'm, hey, when you get baptized, like you're not gonna see anything crazy. Like you're not gonna feel any different. It's more a picture of what God's done on the inside. Just to be clear, that kind of special thing only happened with Jesus because Jesus is the son of God. And we, scripture testifies because of what happened at his baptism, we know he is God the son. That's who he is. Now, if you were like, well, quick question, Brandon, like, why did Jesus, if he's perfect, need to, need to be baptized? Totally fair question. Number one, it was the beginning of his ministry. So it was a significant moment marking. This is the, the, the beginning of Jesus actually doing, fulfilling his ministry. But two, it was Jesus identifying with sinners. So Think about what John in the gospel of John, the last passage we read, said that he's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that was Jesus when he was baptized. He wasn't, it wasn't that he had to be saved. No, he came to save, but he saves us through his atoning death on the cross. So he was baptized to identify with broken sinners because he knew he was going to pay the price for our sins. And then, and then a second question you may ask is like, could that really happen? Like the heavens be torn open and a voice boom and say, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Well, again, John's writing to Christians and helping us be assured of our faith. Y'all, if, so we believe as, as Christians that God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke it into existence. If God can speak and planets and stars come flying out of his mouth, do you think he can open the heavens and say, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased? Can he do that? Absolutely. Not a problem for him. So from a Christian perspective, I mean, no, well, it is a big deal what happened, but totally believable that God did this. He's saying, putting his mark on Jesus, it's my son. This is God, the son. He is divine. So number one, spent a lot of time on that one, but we know Jesus is the son of God because of his baptism and specifically what happened at his baptism. Now you saw there as we were reading, uh, kind of leading to our second point, he mentions blood. I'm gonna read verse six again. Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. This leads us to our second truth we see in this text and is this. We know Jesus is the son of God because of his death. We know Jesus is the son of God because of his death. And again, just to be specific, 
death referring to what happened at the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, before we get rolling too much and unpacking that, in case um, you're thinking, okay, well, blood, how do we know that's not referring to the Lord's Supper, communion, and talking about that? Well, in Scripture, when it refers to what we call the Lord's Supper, it always includes the body and the blood, right? You think about you have the little uh, cracker and here at South Crest, the little juice, right? Because we're good old Baptists, right? So got the cracker and the, and the, and the juice represents the blood of Christ. They go hand in hand together. So the fact that he only mentions the blood kind of scratches out, not, not referring to the Lord's Supper. He's talking about the death of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ. Now, similar to what we talked about with baptism, lots of people have been baptized. While today people aren't crucified regularly, in the time of Christ, men were constantly being crucified by the Romans. So what was special what was significant about the crucifixion of Jesus that was different than every other man who was crucified? Well, another quick Bible drill, less intense this time. Turn to Matthew 27. Matthew 27. We'll be back in 1 John, I promise, so don't lose that. Matthew 27. <clears throat> In verse 45. So this is when Jesus is on the cross. 2745 says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. So just a quick question. Is it normally dark, like nighttime darkish from noon to three o'clock? In Lubbock, when the sky is brown, maybe. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's not normal. It's not normal. Jump down to verse 50. <clears throat> but Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. So this is when he died. Verse 51. Suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. So the moment Jesus died, the curtain separating people from the presence of God, this, this symbol that because of our sin, we can't go into the presence of God. The moment Jesus died, which he claimed he was paying the price for our sins, the moment Jesus died, that curtain was torn into from top to bottom. So not bottom to top, as David Maddox was mentioning when he was leading worship. Not that we could earn our way to heaven, that we didn't know. It was torn from top to bottom, representing that this was the work of God, that he did it by himself to rescue us and make a way for us to come into his presence. That curtain split right at the moment he died. The earthquake, the rocks were split. Verse 52, the, to the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised super creepy. And, and they came out of the tombs after his resurrection, entered the holy city and appeared to many, which what this is, we know from the rest of scripture, it was the first fruit showing that Jesus has the power of resurrection life. Verse 54, when the centurion and those who were with him or those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified. By the way, these guys, these Romans who were standing around at the foot of Jesus, it was their job to see people crucified. So this is just common every day, like it's terrible and, and like sickening and 
terrifying as it is for us to think about crucifixion, this was normal for them, seeing a man hang on a cross. But when all this happens and Jesus dies, here's what they say. Truly, this man was the son of God. This wasn't just any ordinary man. This man must be the son of the living God. How do we know, Christian? How do we know that Jesus is the son of God, that he is who he says he is, that we're standing in the right line by placing all our faith and hope in him? We can look to what happened in his death and know that he is divine. He is God the son, amen? No question about it. We can fully rest and place our faith and trust in him because he is the son of God. And and don't miss it. Don't miss John's emphasis on the blood in verse six. So he's the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. What he's saying is, he's helping us not miss, Jesus was not just a good teacher, a miracle worker who who God blessed him at his baptism and at the start of his ministry. No, he's saying, even at the death of Jesus, which is really what his ministry was ultimately about, that he was coming to pay the price for our sins, to bring the kingdom of God and open up a way for us to have a relationship with God. We can look at the death of Jesus and know he is God the Son. That Christianity ultimately is about the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. So I mean, that Jesus covers our sin, he covers our sin through the sacrifice of himself. That's what Christianity is about. And what happened at that sacrifice proves that Jesus is God the Son. I think it would be fair or understandable to say, well, if all of that happened when Jesus died, People raised from the dead, earthquake, the curtain torn into. How come people, how come more people didn't believe? I don't think it should be too hard for us to imagine that people in power like to stay in power, even if it means denying truth sometimes. I think also we like to explain things away, don't we? Wouldn't it be easy, especially if you were in power, wouldn't it? have been easy to, oh no, it's just just coincidence. Just the timing that when Jesus died in the earthquake, it was just coincidence. I think that attitude is is even common today. But also flip it, if you were to to say, how come more people didn't believe, more people did not believe? I would say, look at how many people did believe. (laughs) A homeless Jewish carpenter who died at the age of 33, a gruesome death, totally betrayed by his friends, 2,000 years later is the most worshipped, or the the most worshipped person, he is God, but the most worshipped person the world has ever known. Homeless Jewish carpenter. Turned the world upside down through his death. I would say, look how many people do believe (laughs) as evidence he is who he says he is. So, Mention the water, the blood, and he gives us kind of this trio. Look at verse, the end of verse, halfway through six, he says, and the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. So our third point, so we've looked at uh, baptism, we've looked at the death of Christ, and now we have the Holy Spirit. We know Jesus is the son of God because 
of the Holy Spirit. When John in, in verse six says the spirit is the truth, I really do believe he's referring to the inward witness of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is inside believers. He's already mentioned twice in, the, in this epistle that the Holy Spirit was given to us when we believed in Christ. The Holy Spirit is in us and he's testifying to us that Jesus is God the Son. One pastor said it this way, that uh, like a, a compass always points to, points to your true north, the Holy Spirit always points us to Jesus. So it's not that the water or the baptism of Christ and the death of Christ point us to him being God the Son and the Holy Spirit disagrees. No, the Holy Spirit also testifies and agrees that Jesus is God the Son. And when he says in verse eight, these three are in agreement. I, I love this picture because we're good Texans and we like to shoot guns and stuff. Think about, sound like a Floridian the way I said that, shoot guns and stuff. <laughs> Think about if you're looking even on a pistol, you're looking through the sight, like if you don't have a red dot, you're looking, at, looking through the sight. You got, I don't know, front sight, back sight, I'm probably saying it wrong, whatever. You're looking through, very, very technical, I know here. <laughs> and you look at your target, you got one, two, and the target is your third sight. You could say, right? Am I doing okay? Mr. Shooters and uh, army men, okay? <laughs> Lined up. If, if I'm looking at my target and one of these is out of alignment, I'm not on target. I'm going to miss. One, two, three, target. I'm in line. I'm on target. I'm going to be accurate. That's what John's saying. You've got three. The water, the blood, the spirit. They're all in agreement. Pointing you, you're on target. Jesus is who he says he is. God the Son, divine, the God-man. Baptism, death, the Spirit. And then John turns a corner and he's kind of ultimately making the same argument, but he's going to change the pace a little bit. Verse 9 says, if we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that he has given about his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony God has given us, eternal life, and this life is in his son. The one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son of God does not have life. Fourth point, real simple. What's he saying here? We know Jesus is the son of God because of the Father. Because of the Father. Uh, what John's saying is that in all three of those examples, what the Father said at the baptism of Jesus, what the Father did at the death of Jesus, and the Father sending the Holy Spirit because of Jesus, in all those ways, God the Father is telling us that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Son of God, that Jesus is his Son. And, and add to that, uh, the whole testimony of Scripture that all along the way, God is pointing us to that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. And look at what John says. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar 
That's in verse 10. And if you go up to verse nine, he says, if we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that he's given about his son. He's saying, why would you believe someone else what they say about Jesus and not believe what God the Father says about Jesus? Like, why would you leave to listen to some preacher or somebody on TikTok or somebody on the news and not listen to what God says about who Jesus is? What he says about his own son matters most. He says, Jesus is God, the son. We know he's divine. We know he is who he says he is. So baptism, death, Holy Spirit, father, unomas. Verse 10, the one who believes in the son of God has this testimony within himself. Read it again. The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within himself. Number five, we know Jesus is the Son of God because of our belief. We know Jesus is the Son of God because of our belief. That needs some unpacking. When you believe in Jesus, when you trust him as savior, the reality is you get to know him through believing in him. You experience the goodness and the realness of Jesus. If you don't believe in him, then you're not gonna know that he is who he says he is. But once you do believe in him, you begin to walk with him, experience him. Then you get to see what verse 10 says, that you have this testimony within yourself so that even in your gut, you begin to know Jesus is who he says he is. He's God the son. I know it. I trust it. You could try to convince me otherwise. Like, but even in my gut, I've experienced Jesus is God. Amen. He's good. He's trustworthy. To make this super ridiculously simple and maybe a gross metaphor like to even like, I'm not trying to compare Jesus, but just like for clarity's sake, think about your favorite place to get chips and queso. If you moved here from Antarctica and never had chips and queso, <laughs> yeah, it's laughable, right? <laughs> and you went and got some chips and queso. When you believe your good Texas friend that you should try this chips and queso because it's good and you try chips and queso isn't it true there may be a few oddballs out there who disagree you don't like queso we'll pray for you after the service I'll be in the back <laughs> but isn't it true that when you experience the chips and queso within yourself there's a testimony that this is good <laughs> right like in amen that's right thank you in your gut use a lot of food metaphors lately apparently I'm hungry I don't know in your gut, metaphorically, not literally, there's this sense, man, this is good. Forget the silliness, but that idea of being that with Jesus, when you experience him through trusting, believing in him, being saved by grace through faith, the reality is when he begins, when he abides in you, as John's talked about, for the believer, there is this testimony that yes, he's good. Does it mean it's not, doesn't it mean it's always easy following him or it's always fun, 
But there's this testimony that yes, Jesus is good. And if you were to say, I, I don't know, man, I'm just not, I don't, I don't think Jesus is. Like, yeah, I got saved, but I've not found Jesus to be good. I, I would tell you, I don't think you know Jesus. We, we all have times where we begin to wonder like, man, what's, what are you doing, God? But ultimately for the believer, even in the difficult times where there may be doubts, there may be questions, ultimately there's this settled peace that even in the mess, God is still good. So if that is not your testimony within you, maybe you've not actually experienced Jesus. John says, for the believer, verse 13, he's talking to believers, we know because of the baptism of Jesus, because of what happened at the death of Jesus, because of the Holy Spirit, because of the Father, oh, that's for and because of the testimony within ourselves, we know Jesus is the Son of God. Now, what difference does all that make? <laughs> Why does that matter? Well, first of all, I would say, to go back to the opening metaphor of, of the airlines, you can be sure, isn't it cool that John just used the, the Bible as an to use, like to make some good apologetic cases. Like, it's pretty amazing. But you can be sure you're in the right line. Like, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But to say it differently, um, think about a swimming pool. Think about a swimming pool. And it's funny, I love, uh, like, if you're with friends or family at the pool, whatever, and it's funny the way different people approach the pool, right? Some people, uh, they can't do the whole toe. Any toe in the water first, raise your hand. Like you kind of like to fill it out. Yeah. Any, any cannonball people? Oh yeah, there we go. Mostly the, oh, I see some gals. It's like this normally a boy thing, but way to go girls like that. <laughs> yeah, there's people that kind of test the water and there's other people that just go for it. And then there's also um, totally wise people who, who ask how, how deep it is. We were at the pool recently with some friends and their eight-year-old boy was asking how deep the pool is so he could know if he could dive in or not. And we were at our friend's house who I had dove into that pool before and that next Sunday I had to preach with a scab on my forehead because it's not that deep. <laughs> but if you know how deep the pool is and you, and you know you know the water's refreshing, I mean, you can just go for it, can't you, right? You don't have to test it out. You don't have to ask around. I mean, if you know it's deep, plenty deep to dive in and the water's refreshing, you just go for it. I think for the, for the Christian, because we know Jesus is who he says he is. We know he's the son of God. You don't have to treat your relationship with him and your faith in him and your trust in him. Like, well, I don't know. Let me test it out. I don't know if I should die fully. No, you know, he is who he says he is. You know, he's the savior of the world and that if you, because you place your faith in him, you know you have salvation. So you can rejoice in that. Man, Jesus has saved me. I can dive headfirst into that, knowing he's good. You know that he's worth it. That even when all your friends at school, all your friends at work think Jesus is a joke, you can know Jesus is worth it. So you continue to walk with him, even when it costs you some coolness because you're not doing what the rest of the crowd does. You can know that Jesus works all things for good. 
So you cling to him even when life is tough and life is difficult. You know he's working all things for good. So you, you just keep jumping in to his sovereignty, to the fact that he's in control. You can know, we can know that Jesus is ultimately the only one who brings satisfaction in life. So rather than chasing after the things and the pleasures of this world, we stick with Jesus. We keep diving back into him because we know he brings satisfaction. He is who he says he is. We know that Jesus brings real forgiveness. That it's not like, yeah, I forgive you, but I don't really want to talk to you. I'll stiff arm you. No, he brings real for forgiveness. And as Dane Nortland says, he doesn't hold us at a distance. No, he welcomes us with open arms for a warm embrace because his forgiveness is real, legitimate, and concrete. Because of the cross, we're forgiven. So you don't have to stand back and, I don't know, I'll test Jesus out. No, you can dump, excuse me, jump headfirst into knowing Jesus has forgiven you through the cross. You can know that he is the prince of peace, that Jesus actually brings peace, that you could look to substance abuse, you could look to terrible habits, you could look to other people on this planet, but no one brings peace like Jesus Christ. So we abide in him. We, we, we wade into him and spend time with him. And, and more than that, because Jesus is who he says he is, we share the gospel. We know that when we love the lost by sharing the gospel, that's a worthy effort because Jesus is who he says he is. So we don't, I don't know, maybe I share the gospel. No, we do a cannonball into sharing the gospel, knowing that Jesus saves. And that, as he says in verse, I think it was 12 and 13, that if you have the son, you have life, you have forgiveness, you have purpose, you have joy, you have heaven because Jesus brings life. But if you don't have the son, you may have religion, you may have Southcrest, you may have some church friends, but if you don't have the son, you don't have life. So we share the gospel. And I would, I would say, man, if, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, your testimony within yourself is not that, man, he's good. I don't understand him. Hey, man, you know, there's a difference in saying, I don't understand him. And sometimes he confuses me, but I know he's good. Like every, every person does that. But if you're like, man, I don't understand him. He confuses me and I don't think he's good. I would say you haven't experienced Jesus. And I want to tell you this morning, he is who he says he is. He is God, the son. And he offers forgiveness and hope and salvation. If you will turn to him, it's simply turning from your sin and turning to Jesus saying, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I want to trust that you are the son of God, that you paid the price for my sins. Would you be the Lord of my life? And you can jump head first into a relationship with God, knowing that if his grace is an ocean, you're going to sink because <laughs> he's merciful and gracious and good. We're gonna have a time to respond as we sing a song and ask the worship team to come on up. And if you're a believer, uh, I wanna ask you, I think this could look a lot of different ways. I wanna ask you as a Christian to consider two things. What does it look like to jump more confidently into who Jesus is? Like if he is who he says he is, does your life reflect that? Are there ways that you need to just fully jump in to knowing he is who he says he is? And what aspect of your life? And then second of all, as a believer, because Jesus is who he says he is, who are, and that if you have the son, you have life. If you don't, you don't have life. Who could you pray for? Who could you share the gospel with? And talk to the Lord about that. Ask God for boldness. If you would like some prayer around any of those things, there'll be some folks at the coffee station and at the Welcome Center. We'd love to pray with you, encourage you. Maybe you're not a believer. I'm gonna encourage you during this time just to surrender your life 
to Jesus. Maybe you have a question about what that looks like. Again, folks back at the coffee station, the Welcome Center, we would love to pray with you, love to answer any questions you have about what it means to trust Jesus for salvation. I'm gonna give us just a moment to, to pray, to think, talk with the Lord, and then they'll lead us in a song that celebrates Jesus really did pay the price for our sins. Take a moment to talk with the Lord. Subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 